let me say two kind of random things before we get started. The first is that um, every, like once or twice a year, I throw out my back. And uh, just, this is kind of my deal. And uh, it's never fun. It usually takes a week to two weeks before I can stand upright again. Anybody like that? Anybody relate? A few of you? Yes. Anthony, thank you. Um, so it happened yesterday. And uh, the, the, the sort of ironic thing was that I was supposed to help Pastor Michael move some furniture yesterday afternoon. So I, I, uh, I had to call him and say, I can't come and, and help, which is why part of why I'm telling you this story. So he knows I wasn't just trying to get out of uh, moving some furniture. So, um, uh, so last night, um, Maggie, my wife, puts our son Elliot to bed and she comes out and she says, she said, we prayed for you. I was like, we who, you know, and she's like, oh, no, Elliot and I prayed for you. I was like, oh, she's like, we pray for your back. I was like, okay, thank you. That this is sweet. Um, and, and, and wouldn't you know it this morning, um, I, my back feels really good and not a hundred percent, like 90%. And, uh, so, I, you know, we talk about healing sometimes and it gets kind of woo, weird. And, uh, at least for me, um, but then there's these little moments, and uh, who knows, right? Who knows? But I, I'm grateful that my back is feeling better today. I'm grateful for the prayers of my wife and maybe my son. Who knows? Maybe he has a gift of healing, and uh, uh, we'll see. But so I just they should pray yesterday morning. No, I wanted to wait until after you, after you were done. Uh, uh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. As we were singing. Um, as we were singing these songs, and I was looking around, and people worshiping, and, and I'm aware that, um, that anytime we gather, there are always going to be some of us who feel like outsiders during worship, either because uh, some of us here are not, we wouldn't call ourselves Christians, and so a lot of what you observe in this setting is odd, and you feel kind of like an outsider a little bit. But then there's other folks who, who have followed Jesus for a long time, uh, and for whatever reason, in today or maybe for the past month or the past year or the years, you feel like an outsider. Um, the songs sound weird. Uh, the, 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 the sermons seem odd. Um, the idea of connecting with other Christians, you know, this, uh, you, you feel like an outsider. Uh, you feel dry, maybe, or it feels like, what are we singing to? Who, who are we praying to? And I'm just aware, because I've been there, I've felt that, that any time that we gather, there are some of us here who, who just feel a little distant from what the rest of us maybe are believing or experiencing. Uh, and so before I preach, I want to pray for you. Uh, I want to pray for those of you today who feel like uh, outsiders who feel like maybe God is just outside of your grasp. Um, for those of you who it was a monumental effort to even get here today because you knew that it was going to be a weird experience for you again. Um, so let me just pray for you right now, okay? And then let's open the Bible together. Let's pray. Our God, you know. You know our emotions. You know our thoughts. You know those of us who are super glad to be here today. You know those of us who've been looking forward to being here, whose, whose souls are uplifted, are encouraged by the songs that we sing. And yet, Lord, we also know that you 
are aware of those of us this morning who feel dry, who feel isolated, who feel lonely, who feel just, who feel as if you are a, a long ways away. And so, God, we pray, we pray for those who are experiencing that today. We acknowledge that this is a normal part of our life of faith, that there are these moments of dryness. Uh, we acknowledge this is, this is the story of the scriptures of your people wondering, where are you right now, God? Have you forsaken me? Have you left me? So, Lord, we pray for our, our family, for our brothers, for our sisters who are feeling this today. Holy Spirit of God, would you remind them of your love? I don't know how that needs to happen, but God, would you, would you give them just what they need, just enough for today, Lord? And would you help us to be a people in a church where it's okay to not always be feeling spiritual, to not always be feeling close to you, can, can we be a church, Lord, that, where we can be honest with one another, where we don't have to use the right christian churchy language to make it sound like everything's okay when it's not? That we desire to be a, a people of authenticity and honesty with one another as we pursue you. And so, Holy Spirit, meet those who, who, who need a, a fresh encounter with you this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. So, so um, this morning we're going to look at a variety of different scripture passages. Last week we heard from Pastor Michael as he talked about solitude. Um, you'll hear from me this morning. The next two Sundays, Pastor Peter is going to do a, a mini sermon series, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, your, your pastor is in Miami right now. So I found that information less than helpful this morning on the way to church. No, but please be praying for Pastor Peter that he will come back refreshed, rejuvenated. So a two a two week mini sermon series from Pastor Peter next week. And then the last Sunday of January is Vision Sunday. Uh, This is a great Sunday to invite people. Uh, If there are some folks in your life who you would like to uh, have know what our church is about, Vision Sunday is a, is a great Sunday every year to invite some folks and say, hey, if you want a taste of what we're about, if you want to know our, our vision, our mission, the things that are valuable to us, great Sunday to invite people. And then the following sun, uh, Sunday, February 7th, I believe, is uh, we're back to church without walls. Most of us, most of us, some of us are going to be on, in Bronzeville on February 7th. Yeah. For our first preview service for our new church, um, our first preview service for New Community Bronzeville on February 7th, um, which is less than a month away. It's a little scary to some of us. Uh, we're praying together uh, for the following two Sundays at 930. All of our Bronzeville folks are invited 930 to be praying as we lead up to this. But I want to invite all of you to participate in that as well. Because the reality is new community is planting a church. That means we are all doing this together. Some of you have wondered, how can I participate in this? Because I'm not going to be in Bronzeville. Show up the next two Sundays and pray with us. Okay? 930, right down front. We'd love to have you here supporting us and sending us, those of us who are going to be in Bronzeville. Okay? So that's kind of the schedule for the next little bit.
that give you a sense of where we're going. This morning, I want to talk to you about the, uh, one, of, one of the things I find paradoxical about the Christian faith. Um, I hope it's okay to admit that our faith as Christians contains mysterious elements, uh, contains paradoxes, things that don't seem like they should be held together. Um, there are things that we can explain about our faith, and there are other things that um, we can't. I'm okay with that. Um, it seems to me that the minute we can explain everything about God, God ceases to be God. Would you, would you agree with that? The minute you and I can contain, can box in, can rationally explain everything about God, we've probably formed God to be in our own image. And that's not a God who can save me or you. And so I'm okay with the fact that there are elements of paradox and mystery about our faith, things that seem like they are, are held in this tension. And one of those things for me, and the, and the thing I want to spend time on today is Christian mission on the one hand and Christian community on the other. So, so the mission of God being held in tension with the community of God. And I, I have felt this, but let me, let me tell you a few ways I've observed this tension. One of my main responsibilities here at the church is to serve and to lead our community group ministry, our small group ministry. Community group leaders, raise your hand. Community group folks, coaches, raise your hand. So uh, you guys back me up if, if you've experienced this as well. Um, when, we, when we seek to build community, these small groups of community, there's this tension of do we build community or do we participate in mission? Here's what I mean. Community seems to involve intimacy, authentic relationships. We need a safe place, a small group of people in order to go deep with one another, in order to know and be known. Safe places to tell our story, to confess our sin to one another. It seems to, it seems to involve some boundaries to create a safe community. And, and then there's this mission piece where we say, no, we want our community groups to be hospitable, open to, to new people, open to people who don't yet know Jesus to explore the faith. So our group should be growing, should be expanding. And, and I've had many conversations with our small group leaders where they say, how can we do both of these? I, I can do one or the other. We can create safe community or we can do mission. But if we do too much mission, then our group loses its sense of community. If we do too much community, we become insular focused and we, we don't go on mission. Small group leaders, have you felt that tension before? There's other ways that, that we see this and we experience this. I, I kind of experienced this growing up. Uh, my parents were missionaries. My dad was a missionary pilot, so he flew little airplanes around the jungles of Venezuela and Ecuador. And up until I went to high school, we lived my whole life in, in, in Venezuela or, or Ecuador. And so I grew up in this context of a missionary family a family who had really kind of dedicated themselves to being about the mission of God, in this case, in, in South America. And I loved it. It was a great, great experience for me. But one of the interesting things about that was that I grew up with the sense that mission is what matters the most. And that meant moving very often. The longest I've lived anywhere is eight years, and that was just a few years ago out in the suburbs. Constantly moving, new, new countries, new towns, new schools, new friends, new churches. Why? Because we were a people of mission, sent. And so we we're always open to going wherever 
God was calling us. And so it took me a long time, really just the past few years, for me to understand that community is important. Staying somewhere for a long time matters. Having long-term friendships and, 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 and relationships is significant to our Christian faith. It took me a long time to be able to say that. My sense was, no, a Christian committed to the way of God was, man, we'd be open to going all the time, everywhere, whenever. We'd be always kind of moving around. And so, and so there is this, I think, this, this paradoxical tension. Some of us in this church plant in Bronzeville are feeling this really strongly right now. Some of those who are a part of our launch team have been a part of this church since the very beginning. And, and now, now we're leaving. We're still one church, clearly. We're, we're going to be in different places with different ministries. We're still part of the same family. But, but there's this sense of grief because we've, this is our people. You all are our family. You're our community. We, we've invested time. You've invested in us. We're in small groups together. We've served together. We eat together. And, and now we're being sent on mission to Bronzeville. And that's exciting and exhilarating, and we're grateful to be on this, this sense of being on the front lines of what God is doing in our city. But man, there is this serious tension between, but these are our people, but God is calling us here. And so how, how do we hold these two in tension? How, how, how do we say yes to both the community of God and the mission of God? Some of you grew up in churches where, where you experienced community. Maybe it was like a first-generation, second-generation immigrant church, and man, there was this tight sense that this is, this is my family, these are my people. You knew that people knew your story, were watching out for you, had your back. There's no question about the community in that church environment. But maybe in that same story, there was less of a sense of the mission of God bursting out of the community involved with people who looked differently, who were, who, who were in different places. Others of us grew up in churches that were very outwardly focused, all about the mission of God, but where the community felt very superficial, as if you couldn't necessarily trust and count on those who you were doing mission with. How can we, new community, hold these two together and constantly say yes to both the mission and the community of God? The scriptures, too, are filled with examples of getting this wrong, I would say. The Old Testament, in many ways, is the story of the community of God, of the nation of Israel, of Abraham's family. And this family is called out so that they can be about mission. And yet over and over, we see that the community becomes insular, focused inward to the exclusion of everybody on the outside. And the prophets have to come over and over again to the nation of Israel and say, you've missed it. You've missed the fact that you're called together to be about mission. In the New Testament, recently, and as we've gone through the books of, book of Acts, we've seen stories where, where people get the mission, are excited about the mission, where amazing things are happening, but the community is messed up. Crazy stuff happening within the actual community. And so even in the scripture, there's this sense of, God's people, God's followers, having a hard time holding both of these together. My starting point this morning is that if, if you and I, if our church neglects either community or mission, 
we are not worshiping God in all of his fullness. So this idea of community and mission isn't so much about what you and I need to do. It's about who we worship. And so my job this morning, my job this morning is to open the scriptures with you and to preach in such a way that you and I encounter as big a picture of our God as possible. So that we can have this sense that community and mission is at the very heart of who our God is. And so the sermon this morning, um, just to give you a heads up, probably more theological in nature. Okay? Going to kind of take the 10,000 foot view. Hope that's okay. Here's what I need you to do. I need you, as I'm speaking, as I'm preaching, as we're looking at the scriptures, I need you to be looking for points of application. I'm not going to give you like the top 10 list at the end of the sermon of what to do with this, okay? So throughout this message, I need you to be going, so what? So what? So what? How, what do I do with this? Can you do that? Can you do that? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, open your Bible. Open your Bible. Um, we're going to start in the New Testament. You can turn to John chapter 17. Like I said, this is, this is ultimately not so much about um, something that you and I need to do more of as much it is, as, it is, uh, as much as it is a bigger picture of who our God is, okay? So, someone drop a water bottle? You guys drop a water bottle? This one? Okay, <laughs> I don't want to trip on it. <laughs> um, okay, let's start with this. God is community. It's maybe the, most, the simplest thing I'm going to say today, but it's probably the most significant thing I'm going to say today. God is community. John 17, Jesus is praying with his disciples. He's praying in front of his disciples, and he says, after After Jesus was talking with his disciples, he looked at heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Next slide. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Just leave that up there for a second. God is community. God is Trinity. This is not a sermon about the Trinity. That would be lots of sermons. Um, But I want to start here with this, this Christian mystery that our God is one and our God exists as a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit of the living God. Our God who is one exists as a trinity. And we get a glimpse of this here in this passage in John's gospel, where Jesus, the Son of God, is praying to God the Father. Okay, so he's, he's, he's speaking to his Father, and he says, Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you, Read that last part with me. The glory I had with you before the world began. In in other words, God has existed in a community forever. 
Jesus, as, as he's leading up to his arrest, he prays to his father and he says, I've, God, Father, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. I have given you glory. You have given me glory. The glory that we have known together since before the world began. The God who you and I worship is a God of community. A God who somehow mysteriously lavishes love, glory, and honor on God's self. It's not so much that God thinks the community is a good idea. You know what those humans could use? Some, some community. They look really lonely. No, no, no. This, this idea of community is at the heart of who God is. Let's look at the next slide, the next passage. Jesus is uh, at the beginning of his ministry, probably about 30 years old, and he, uh, he goes to be baptized by his cousin, John, John the baptizer. And he goes out to the desert, to the Jordan River, and John baptizes him. And Jesus comes up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, Matthew tells us, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. How many members of the Trinity do we see in this passage? Three. Okay, it took you a little while, but you got it. That's good. That's all right. Three. Jesus, the Son, comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends from heaven in the form of a dove, alights on Jesus, symbolizing filling with the Holy Spirit. And a voice from heaven, God the Father, speaks. This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Here in just these couple verses, we have this, this, this picture of our God who, again, mysteriously, one God existing as community. The Son coming up out of the water, the Holy Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, the voice from heaven, God the Father saying, this is my Son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. The God that we serve doesn't think community is a good idea. The God that we serve has never experienced anything else but community with God's self. You see that? Tell me if you're seeing this. This is really, we can't move on. Did you see this? God, for all time, has understood and been an experienced relationship. Don't ask me to explain how it works. I, I don't understand the Trinity. It's a mystery. I'm okay with that. But somehow, somehow God has shown us that this is how God is. In relationship, in community with God's self from the very beginning. The Father gives the Son. The Son gives the Holy Spirit. There is this sense of of ongoing relationship and action and activity within the Trinity. And so if God is community, 
If God has existed within God's self as a community, then guess what? You and I, as God's people, are also community. I'm saying it that way on purpose. I didn't say you and I are supposed to do community. I didn't say community is something that you should add to your Christian checklist. I said, because God has always existed as community, then you and I as God's people are also community. One of the things I want you to see throughout this sermon is that the issue of mission and community is not one of tasks to be accomplished, but of identity. Our identity as the people of God is community. So how does this work? Do we have a slide from Matthew chapter 28? I don't know if we do. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's commissioning him. And he says, therefore, I want you to go out into all the world. I want you to teach and demonstrate to people what you saw from me. And then I want you to baptize them. When they say yes to the way of Jesus, I want, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, when people step into this life, Jesus says that I've taught, proclaimed, demonstrated to you, when they step into this life, when they submit to Jesus, when they step into this new life, they are being baptized into this community of God. When we do baptisms here on Easter, we don't just baptize in the name of the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. No, we are baptized into this community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which means, which means that our community is a result of following Jesus. Let's put the quote up there from um, Hauerwas and Willimon. Christian community, these authors say, is not primarily about togetherness. It is about the way of Jesus Christ with those whom he calls to himself. I want to pause here for just a second because this is really, really important for us to understand. Many of us grew up, many of us who've been Christians for a while, grew up with an understanding of Christianity, which was this. Christianity is primarily about being saved by Jesus so that I can go to heaven. So primarily, Christianity is about my relationship with Jesus. It's about my beliefs. So my life can look the same as it did before. Nobody has to look at me and go, oh, what happened to you? No, no, I can keep doing what I was doing. My values can remain the same. It's just a few beliefs that have to change on the inside. I now believe in Jesus. Many of us grew up with an understanding of Christianity that was primarily about that, right? What Howard Watson and Willimon are pointing out here, and what I think we see clearly from the scriptures is this. When you and I say yes to Jesus, we are stepping into an entirely new way of life. Christian community then isn't something that people with interesting beliefs about Jesus do because it's a good idea, because it makes us feel like we're together. I love going to community groups. I just feel so close to everybody. What these authors are reminding us is that saying yes to the way of Jesus is about stepping into an entirely new way of living. We are baptized into the triune God. We are baptized into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Community, then, is something that starts with the gospel of Jesus, that starts with saying yes to the way of Jesus. Let's put it this way. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to the people around you right now. See, sometimes I think we make the gospel too easy. Just say yes to Jesus. Just believe. Say this short prayer. I don't think we do that in our church, but you all know what I'm talking about. What we should say is take a look at who's sitting next to you because you're saying yes to them too. Do you really want to say yes to everybody in this room? Because maybe before we say yes to Jesus, we should all get up and say, okay, here's all my junk. Here's how I'm going to stab you in the back. Here's how I'm going to neglect you. Here's how I'm going to forget things that matter to you. That's what we're saying yes to. When we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to this new family that Jesus is calling to himself. And so it's not that you and I believe some new things and then, oh, Pastor David got up and said I should join a community group, so I guess I'll do that. Or I guess I've got a little extra time, so I'll join a ministry team and experience a little bit of community. If our God has existed for all of time, before time, as community, that when you and I say yes to Jesus, we are stepping into community. You and I become the community of God. It's about identity. It's not about should. It's not about our to-do list. It's about our identity being rearranged by Jesus. I think this is why so many of us have a hard time with community. This is why so many of us have a hard time making room in our lives for one another because we primarily see ourselves as autonomous individuals who've been saved by Jesus. And if I have a little extra time, then maybe I can do that community thing. No, no. When you said yes to Jesus, your autonomy ended. It's now us. I hope some of you are going, crap. Why didn't anybody tell me that? Because it's hard. But it's, it's beautiful at the same time because this is what our God is like. And so our community, our life and community starts with Jesus. It's sustained by the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing that I think is absolutely amazing. Our community life together points people to God. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Same prayer, same prayer. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and then he's praying for you and me. Listen to what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is acknowledging this, this community within the Godhead. I'm in you. You're in me. When they say yes to us, they're, saying, they're stepping into this community. But then this. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see what he's saying? 
Jesus praying to the Father, God, please allow them to step into this community life together. Allow them to be one. Why? Why? What does it say? Why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. Again, let's go back. If our, understanding of commun- if our understanding of community is something that we should do, it's an add-on, it's a Christian add-on, if that's our starting point, what is our, what is our witness to the world? If our understanding of community is an extra thing that I should be doing if I have time, well, that's our witness to the world, Jesus says. Jesus' prayer here is, Lord, may they experience, may they know oneness with one another so that the world may know that you sent me. Our community life together starts with Jesus, is sustained by the Holy Spirit, but points people to God. Do you understand that? And as long as we understand community is something that we should be doing, we're going to fail miserably at this. But what if community is simply our identity? Then what? My wife and I were moving from our apartment in Logan Square to our condo down in uh, Hyde Park this summer. Our neighbor, who we got really close with, was helping us move. And as far as I know, person, uh, pretty sure, in fact, this person, in fact, he said that he's not a follower in Jesus. Um, but awesome, awesome person. Love him. Um, Going to have dinner with, with him and his family in a week or so. And, uh, and he just says random things, which is one of the things I love about this guy. And he says, uh, as we're moving out, he says, you know, out of the blue. He says, you know, I don't, something like, I don't really have any non-white friends. And this is, I mean, you have to understand. He just says these kinds of things. I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. <laughs> Why is he saying that? Why is he saying that? Because for the past year and a half, Maggie and I have lived literally right above him and his family. And so anybody coming to visit us, he, he sees. When we're having a barbecue in the backyard, he's, he's there. And so it's not like Maggie and I are like, okay, we got to make sure to invite some non-white people, you know. <laughs> no, of course not. But this neighbor just like observing Interesting. I've never experienced that. And it was this beautiful little moment for me where I go, yeah, that's the witnessing community. Not all the pieces are together yet, you know, but but this person is going, where does that come from? Because that's not something I know or have experienced. Our community starts with Jesus, is sustained by the Holy Spirit, and ultimately ought to be pointing people to God. Is it happening? Is it happening? If it's not happening, my guess is less that you ought to be trying harder, that we should be trying harder, and more that we should be asking about our identity. Our identity as God's people together. Okay. God is mission. Community, let's leave that one there. We're going to come back. And now let's go to mission. 
God is a God of community, but God is also a God of mission. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God has been on a rescue mission. Um, I'm, I'm kind of reading through Genesis right now, and I'm struck by the fact that uh, as soon as humanity rebels, as soon as humanity willfully sins against God, God starts pursuing people right away. There's not like this, okay, you go sit in the corner for a while, and then... No, from the very beginning, God is a God of mission, on a rescue mission, to restore, to recreate his creation and his people, right from the very beginning. I'm, I'm, my wife and I are reading uh, our son, the, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I don't think he can understand it, because um, he's just nine months old. But he likes to chew on it um, and read the... But, you know, there's a, can I just be honest? There's a lot of weird stories in the Bible. Like, I would never want to be an editor for a children's Bible because there's some crazy stuff in there, you know? Like, Gina and I were meeting earlier this week, and Gina's like, you know that story about Balaam's ass? I'm like, that's a crazy story. Look it up if you don't know. It's funny. But there's crazy stuff in this. I was, I was reading through the story of, of Noah this week. Like, you think that's a nice kid story? No, no, that is a, that's a messed up, crazy story. Anyway, that's totally tangential. But so I'm reading, and what, here's what I love about this kid's Bible. Here's what I love about it, is that the authors do a great job of, from the very beginning, kind of tracing the fact that the Bible is a story of God's rescue mission. And so they do a great job of, of in every story, pointing to Jesus saying this, is, this was one way that God was preparing the way for Jesus. This is one way that God was calling people back to himself. This is one way that God was demonstrating his heart, his care, his rescue mission to the world. And so, yeah, like, Elliot might be falling asleep, but I'm still, you know, reading, like, oh, yeah, this all connects. It all connects. This is my, like, level of theological maturity, just so you guys, <laughs> just so you know, like, in awe of this kid's Bible. But here's the deal. Our God... Our God, right from the beginning, has been a God of mission. And I'm pretty convinced that it's not that God went, okay, people, you screwed up, you sinned. I guess I have to go do mission now. I think that's giving ourselves way too much credit. I think instead what we see is just God's natural response because of who God is. God naturally, instinctively is a God of of mission, of rescue, of restoration. This is the heart of our God. We have Genesis chapter 12. Gen- uh, the, the Lord comes to Abram. This is his first conversation with Abraham. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Very first time, God comes to Abram and says, I want to make this new nation, a new people. I'm going to call out a new community to myself. From the very beginning, at the heart of that is, and this is how I'm going to bless the world. I want to use this people, Abram, to to participate in my rescue mission in the world. 
And this is why the Old Testament is filled with so many laments, so many prophets who are ripping their hair out because the people forget. They become insular, like we said earlier. They neglect their participation with God in his rescue. But if our God is a God of community, then we also must say that our God is a God of mission. Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. We read this earlier in our uh, Church Without Wall series. Peter, the apostle Peter, is giving one of his first sermons. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. How many members of the Trinity do we see in this passage? God, quicker. Good. Right. Great. Here it is, this relational, this trinity, this triune community, God. The very heart of who God is, is this mission orientation. God is both sender and sent. Who raised Jesus to life? God. Who sends Jesus to be born in a manger? God the Father. So Jesus is sent by the Father. The Father sends the Son. Verse 33, Jesus pours out, gives, sends the Holy Spirit. So here this triune God who has existed for all time in relationship with God's self is sender and sent. The Father sends the Son. The Son is sent by the Father. The Son sends the Holy Spirit to you and I. The Holy Spirit is sent by the Son. Again, I'm pretty sure this is not God going, oh, man, those people, they really screwed things up. What are we going to do? I know I'm going I'm to become a ascending God. The very heart of who God is is this recreating, restoring impulse, a God of mission, so the Son is sent by the Father, and the Spirit is sent by the Son. And all members of the Trinity keep pointing to one another, giving glory and giving honor as our lives are recreated and restored. The heart of who God is, is mission. Let me stop for a second and say that there, there are plenty of people in our church who, are, who would use this language, I'm burned out. I'm burned out on serving, on sacrifice. I'm burned out on mission. And I get, I get that. I get that. But here's, here's my sense. My sense is that for many of us, just like how community can feel like an add-on, so mission, too, feels like this kind of extra. And it feels like something that we should do. Because Pastor Michael preaches about it. Pastor Peter preaches about it. We talk about these ministries that our church does. And so I should, I should do that. And you're just worn out. Others of us, when it comes to mission, we just have no clue how it relates to our normal lives. Because you're like, look, I'm a lawyer. I go downtown. I do my thing. I love the fact that our church is all about mission. But how the heck does that connect with my real life? I stay at home most of the day with my children. I'm their primary caregiver. I love that our church is serving homeless people. But what in the world does it have to do with my real life? And so let's talk about us for a minute. If God is a God of mission, no surprise what I'm going to say next, we also are a people of mission. And again, as our identity. 
I mentioned before that I, I grew up in a missionary family, and it was an awesome experience, but the, there was this really weird part of it, and it was any time we came back to the United States. Um, some of you who grew up in other countries or spent lots of time outside the United States, you know that when you come to the good old USA, it's weird, right? It's just, okay, maybe it's just me. Okay. <laughs> I found it odd. Like, this is an interesting country here. Um, but the weirdest part for me is that when we would come back, we'd come back like every two or three years and we'd visit different churches because these were churches that um, financially supported our family or prayed for us. And what would happen is uh, we'd visit these churches and they would invite the Swansons to come up on stage. And so like, you know, the congregation is out there and there's my dad, my mom, my sister and me, you know, like we're up there and cute missionary family and and they would, like, interview us, you know, tell us those exciting jungle stories, you know. <laughs> I remember this kid one time, we were at the his church, he's like, have you ever heard of The Simpsons? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what a video game? Yeah. Like, we weren't the Flintstones, you know. Um, but, um, but here's, even as a kid, this is what I noticed. This is what I noticed. We're going we're gonna to ask the missionaries to come up on the stage. And they're going to tell their awesome missionary stories. And the rest of us will give some money. We'll pray for you. We'll even say things like, I'm glad you're doing it because I could never do anything like that. And there was this huge gulf between the, the missionaries and everybody else. And I think this is what happens when we lose sight of the fact that God at God's heart is is missional. When, when we begin to see mission as something that God had to do or chose to do, we see that for ourselves as well. And so there's this distance, and there's the professional missionaries. There's the inner varsity staff workers. There's the pastors. There's the young life leaders, fill in the blank. And then there's everybody else. But what if God at God's heart is missional. What if mission wasn't the second choice? What if it was just a natural response by the God who we worship? Does that change anything for us? I, I think it changes things dramatically. I don't think you and I have the liberty any longer to sit back and say, isn't it great that we got those missionaries that we support? Can I just pause for a second? I love missionaries. I'm like, am I sound really down on mis like missionaries? No, I love missionaries. Our church supports missionaries. And I think we always need to do that because it's a big world. So we need intervarsity workers, young life leaders. We need overseas missionaries. So thankful that our church thinks that way. But that's primarily about sending people to specific people to specific places, right? That doesn't preclude the rest of us from understanding our identity as missional people, right? Jesus, uh, when, when he's about to leave his disciples, and we've quoted this passage over and over again in our church lately, Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, you're, you're going to be my witnesses, not some of you, not uh, the paid pastors, not the super spiritual missionary. No, you all, 
will be my witnesses. And, and I love this word witnesses, even though it's gotten so like messed up in our Christian subculture. Because we talk about witnesses, like witnessing like something we're going to go do. Can I just say that again? That's grammatically impossible. It makes no sense. You can't go witness. The only people who can witness are people who've seen and experienced something. If, if, you, if you didn't see the car accident, the police officer doesn't want to hear you talk about it. Right? Oh, I want to witness about the, the, the car accident. Okay, what did you see? See? What? I just want to talk. No. Witness, mission is identity. You're either a witness or you're not, right? You're either missional or you're not. We, we don't get to choose that. This is a question of identity because this is a question of who God is. And so Jesus looks at him, his disciples, and he said, you've seen it. You've experienced it. You're about to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So guess what? You don't have a choice. You can't not be my witnesses. You can't take back what you saw and what you experienced. Neither can we. We, we're just, we are missional. We don't go do mission. We don't try harder to be missional. Our identity is people of mission. Amen? Are you okay with that? Where are we? How are we doing on time, Pastor Michael? Are we doing okay? Are we doing okay? Okay. Let's talk about the cross for a second. Because all I've done so far, all I've done so far is accentuate our dilemma. All I've done so far is say, community and mission, really important. Community and mission at the core of our identity. And if you're paying attention, you should, you should be going, okay, but how do we hold this together? You, you, so far, maybe you're just feeling schizophrenic, <laughs> just how I often feel with this issue. I, I want to say to you this morning that um, the cross of Jesus was the, was the lowest part, the lowest point in human history. Because it was at the cross that it appeared that both the community of God and the mission of God was going to fall apart. Uh, The the cross was not a, a bad day because Jesus experienced pain. The cross, the crucifixion was the lowest point of human history because at the cross, the community of God And the mission of God appeared to be stopped, to be shattered. Let's put up Luke chapter 22. Jesus is moments away from his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. He's in this garden. He withdraws from his disciples and he goes down to his knees and he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup could be cup of suffering away. Take it away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. 
An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Our our, our best scholars will look at this passage and say, Jesus is in anguish, not because he's going to be hanging on a cross. Jesus is in anguish because he, he knows what's coming. He understands that when he takes all of our sinfulness onto himself, Jesus understands that when he absorbs all of our failure, all of our rebellion, all of our brokenness onto himself, he is going to experience something that God had never experienced. This is Jesus who's praying to his father saying, we have known oneness since before the world began. We've shown glory and honor and praise to one another since before the world began. Same Jesus, about to experience on the cross something that God had never experienced before. Isolation. The, the, the face of the Father turning away. The, the, the cross, the crucifixion is not just a bad day. It is the day when God experienced something that God had never experienced before. On the cross, the Son of God hangs and experiences complete abandonment for you and for me. The God who has existed eternally in relationship with God's self is abandoned, is isolated, is alone. Having absorbed onto God's self all of the sin, all of the injustice, all of the wickedness of our world. Put up the next slide, Matthew. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all of the land. Jesus is hanging on the cross. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the God who has never known loneliness. This is the God who has existed eternally as a beautiful, loving, whole trinity. Alone. Forsaken. Do you see this? Cross was not a bad day because an innocent man died. The cross was the lowest point in human history because it appeared that the community of God shattered. And it appeared that the mission of God was stopped by evil as well. Put up the Luke passage. So a few days after Jesus' death, two of his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're devastated because Jesus was crucified. What they don't know is that Jesus has resurrected and he's walking with them. They don't recognize him and they're, they're talking about Jesus. They say he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. But we had hoped. 
We had hope that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. We had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one to fulfill the mission of God. That's what they're saying. It's been three days since he's been in the ground, but we had placed all of our hope. We have given everything, believing that Jesus was the one to accomplish the rescue mission of God, to redeem our people, to make all things right. And we were wrong. That's what they're saying. We were wrong. He failed. He's dead. He's been in the ground for three days. cross of Jesus is the lowest point in human history because at the cross it appears that the mission of God, which has been at place since the beginning to restore, to recreate all things, has been stopped. Everybody on that day, all of Jesus' followers, all looked at that and said, we were wrong. He failed. Thankfully, you and I know about the resurrection. And we need to understand that it's at the empty tomb. It's at the empty tomb where this mission and community come together for all time. It's at the empty tomb where you and I understand fully and with absolute clarity that we too can be people of both community and mission. Why? Because the mission of God was not stopped at the cross. In fact, what the cross and what the resurrection demonstrates for all time to all people is that the mission of God was way bigger than anybody expected. That the mission of God wasn't for just a specific people, time, and place, but the mission of God, the rescue mission of God, was for us, for everyone. When Jesus rises from the dead, when his disciples go, what in the world just happened? They begin to understand that the mission of God was not stopped at the crucifixion. The mission of God was advanced. Evil and sin and death were in fact defeated. The lowest point in human history becomes a point where you and I understand with absolute clarity that our God is a God of mission as very heart, as very core, and that that mission could not be contained by the grave. And that when Jesus comes out of the ground, the mission of God is more clear than ever before. God is going to restore all things. Salvation and liberty and rescue is to be found for all people, not just a certain people, certain place, certain time. Everyone has access now to this beautiful mission of God. And at the empty tomb, we find that the community, the Trinity, the relational God who we serve was not shattered, was not pulled apart. The triunity of of our God remains, emerges unscathed. And so the early church encounters this relational God as a God who is both sent and sends, as a God who, who, who will resurrect, as a God who will ascend, and as a God who will descend. It's the Holy Spirit to equip and empower for the mission of God. 
I hope I need you right now to be going, how does this, how does this connect? How does this connect? How does this apply? Because it's at the cross of Jesus, it's at the empty tomb to be more specific, that we see that our God is both mission and community, can never be any other way. And saying yes to the resurrected Jesus is saying yes and stepping into a community and a mission, a missional community, a community that is about mission. It can be no other way. How many examples, how many examples have you seen of this? How many, how many examples have you seen of communities of churches who you think do this well? That holds together in tension, this beautiful tension, both mission and community. I, not a lot. I don't, I don't think a lot. I've not seen a lot of examples of this. Last year, I read through uh, this edited autobiography of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um. And, and here's this, this phrase that comes up over and over again in his words, the beloved community. Are you familiar with this language? The beloved community. And for Dr. King, this image of the beloved community is his calling. It's what he's about. It's his mission. And the idea for him is that God has, has called the church to be a people of mission. The, a, a, a people that's open to, to everybody. To be about the mission of God in the world the beloved community in his language. Let's put up this last quote here from a book. This is kind of a patched together quote from Dr. King. The beloved community is established by the great event of Calvary. The great event that stands at the center of our faith, which reveals to us that God is on the side of truth and love and justice. It bothers me when people make Dr. King out to be simply this amazing crusader or this real smart, academically minded, or good order. Because Dr. King, in his understanding of his vocation, his calling, and his mission, he looks to the cross. He says it's at at Calvary. It's at the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Son of God that we understand the community of God and the mission of God, the beloved community. For Dr. King, there was no other way to understand his mission, his vocation, then, then to start with the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see that? And so church, this is our starting and our ending point as well. If we're going to be the kind of people that holds together intention, community, mission. I belong to these people, they belong to me. We have been called to participate with God in the work of God in our world. It starts and it ends with the cross of Jesus. It, it can be no other way. Remember, your job is to be saying, so what, so what, so what? Christianity is always um, tangible. So as, as maybe theological as this message is, let me end with this. You need to experience this. It, this is simply not about you going, okay, I got all the right concepts now, no. Some of you at this point, you've been so burned by community, you're going to have to take a baby step back into it so you can start to experience it again with new lenses. This is not something I'm supposed to do. This is not something the church thinks I should do. This is who I am. So I'm going to join a community group. I'm going to serve with somebody in our church. I'm going to actually call up those people I've been meaning to call get together with them? I don't know what. I don't know. 
Christianity is always tangible. Our faith in Jesus is always tangible. So what, what little step can you take with new lenses? This is, who I, this is who we are. Mission, those of you who felt completely isolated from, from mission, those of you who felt totally burned out by mission, what is, it, what, is it, what is it this week? What could it be this week? This is, no, this is who I am. And so I'm not going to sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm not going to be isolated from mission anymore. I'm going to trust that God has something for me this week wherever I am. God, this week, what's it going to be? God, this week, what, what piece of your mission can I step into this week? That's as practical as I'm going to get with you today. Please remember that Christianity, our faith in Jesus, is always tangible. We serve a bodily resurrected Savior. And so it's not enough for us to sit here and go, okay, new theological concepts, that's great. I have a new way of thinking about this. No. What comes next is you taking a step into something that you can touch, feel, talk about with people. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's pray. Our God, we, um, we make things more complicated than they are. I do this. And I pray if in any way today I've made you more complicated than you are, she would forgive me, she would clarify our minds. But God, if today if we've encountered you in a in a bigger way, in a way that more uh, accurately reflects the scriptures, I pray that it would dig deep inside of us. God, we don't want to worship a version of you. We want to worship you. We don't want to worship uh, a God that we've pieced together. We want to worship you. And so, Lord, we desire to worship a triune God. We desire our worship to reflect God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, a God who is both sender and sent, a God who has given glory to God's self since the beginning of time, a God who experienced isolation, forsakenness on the cross for us, for our salvation. We desire to worship a God who didn't just think mission was a good idea, who at God's very heart is missional in nature, restoring, recreating, remaking all things, including us. God, we want to worship you because, A, this is who you are, and B, because we want to be the people you've called us to be. We don't want to continue spinning our wheels We don't want to continue feeling isolated from community or distanced from the mission of God. We want to experience the fullness of what you have created for us, God. So we want to wake up in the morning and know we belong to a people. And they drive us crazy at times and we don't understand them at times. But there are people because you have redeemed us. You have restored us. You have called us to new life in you. We want to wake up in the morning and know today, God, you have called me to be about your mission in this world. Today, God, you are going to give me opportunities to demonstrate, to proclaim, to embody the beautiful coming kingdom of God. 
wherever we are, whatever we're about, whatever our career, our vocation, our life stage, God, we want to be a people that wakes up and wonders, what will it be today? There's going to be mission today. What's it going to be, Holy Spirit? Show us. We don't want to be good thinkers. We don't want to just know theological concepts. We don't want to pat ourselves on the back because we know more about God. No, Holy Spirit, make us more genuine worshipers of the real God. Make us more submissive to the God who has given glory to God's self since before the beginning of the world. Make us into a church here in Logan Square and in Bronzeville, Lord. Make us into a church that is able to demonstrate to the world we are both community and mission. There's not one without the other. Would you allow our witness to be so compelling, so beautiful, that our neighbors, that our friends would look at us and say, what, what is this? I, I, I need you to explain this to me. How do, you, how do you hold this together? How do you know such beautiful, intimate community? And yet, how do you continue to focus outward on what, what God is doing in the world? Give us chances to explain, well, this is it's our identity now. This is who we are now. God has recreated us. Jesus has recreated us. The Holy Spirit is recreating us. We're not trying to do things. This is... This is who we are now. God, we give you thanks for the cross and the resurrection that so upends our lives that we can actually have hope that we are new people. We're not old people trying to do life better. We're not old people trying to add new things to be more moral people. No, the the cross and the resurrection shows us once and for all that we are We're new people now. The old is gone, the new has come. We've been crucified with Christ that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And so we hold together in us somehow mysteriously the beautiful, huge, incomprehensible mission of God and the mysterious, the transcendent, amazing community of God. This is your grace in us. May it flow, pour, burst out of us that the world would be blessed and know that you, Father, sent your Son to fulfill your mission in the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.